Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with LACA. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling at the Tour de France. I'm your host, Graham Wilgos. Brad's been back on his motorbike following the tour in his own inimitable style this week. Here he is picking the bones out of four monster days in the Pyrenees, including Friday's time trial and Saturday's big finish on the Tourmalet. Hello and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show, a podcast by Eurosport. I'm here in Carcassonne with my sidekick Matt Stevens. Matt, do you want to tell us well I've just said where we are but do you want to give a bit more of an explanation as to where we are? Well we're in a, it's lovely isn't it, There's, it's got a really summery hubris about it, we're, we're midway, we've finished this day today, one by Simon Yates and now we've driven about an hour, we're in Carcassonne within the city walls aren't we? So there's ramparts galore um, it feels a, I'm a bit of an extra for like a Robin Hood film or something like that but we're in a nice little bar, got a couple of drinks and you couldn't ask for a more relaxing atmosphere, could you, really? No, and we're not too far away from, the, of course, the Mont Ventoux, famous oh. climb in the Tour de France. Indeed. Carcassonne is actually where they stayed the night that Tommy Simpson died. This is where Barry Hoban and everyone stayed, and they found oh, wow. out the news. This is where the stage started the next morning, I, I, I seem to remember. Right. Um, so, yeah, not, we're, we're kind of right in the region, right in the heart of historical parts of the Tour de France. It is, and that's what the tour's all about, isn't it? it is a, it's a tour of France, almost the, the cycling bit, it's almost a backdrop. You see some wonderful cities, you do get about, and you've not been, I've not been inside the city walls before, I've been no. to Carcassonne a few times, but never been here. It is, I mean, it's packed with people, as you can probably hear in the background, but it is, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and we're coming off the back of an amazing day in the Tour de France. Another win for Simon Yates, of course, another win for Britain in yep. the Tour de France. But um, you were at the summit. I didn't get to the summit today because I was down at the at the media centre for, for the studio piece with Orla and Brian. But what was it like at the summit there? I know it was raining, wasn't it? And it was quite misty. But we saw the images of Simon coming across the line. But so much of the concentration from the filming point of view was focused on, on the battle going on behind. Yeah, I mean... Uh I rode the climb beforehand to get get a bit of a look on at it. On your Boris bike. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little Brompton, you know, I'm a, I'm a little B-bike, uh, just to get a sense of the climb. Very steep at the bottom, but weird because the last kilometre, two kilometres, there wasn't that many people around because it was so small at the top, as you just explained, you couldn't really get the normal tour infrastructure up top. So although we had this spectacular battle on the roads... The actual finale and the atmosphere was a little bit muted. It was primarily pressed. There weren't that many fans there. No. So it was quite strange, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, the riders came in absolutely drained. I mean, obviously, Simon Yates, the amazing form, especially off the back of disappointment of, of Adam Yates kind of falling away from the GC. But obviously, with Simon way down, he had the opportunity to go clear and wasn't watched. But we saw such an explosive battle before. You were in amongst it, but... Across the line, Alaphilippe came in, draped over the barrier. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I managed to take a little snap, but he was absolutely drained. Croy's yeah. the same. And, and also, uh, Geraint, when he came across the road, he was mobbed by the press. And he said, just give me some space, give me some space. Mm-hmm. He had to ride up, come back. And then, he, again, so amenable with the press. But an, an unusual atmosphere, but still, there's still that, that kind of electricity about the Tour de France. And uh, probably the most explosive stage today I reckon yeah and you're talking about the way the amount of effort the guys put in I mean obviously we, I watched it on the, on the TV doing the, the TV stuff with Orla but Alaphilippe did his usual thing he tried to go with the attacks of Pino at the foot of the climb 
G did his usual trick, and Sean Kelly actually called it on the TV, and once G got dropped, said, that I think that's the end of his Tour de France, but amazing, G was, at that point, I've said quite f- for a few days, now G will time troll from, from where he's at to the summit, he will just continue riding at the same pace as the others accelerate away. Now, as the others accelerated away, obviously, Bernal went with those attacks, and G said afterwards, obviously, you heard the interview where he was stuck between a rock and a hard place because yep. he felt he had the legs to go, and it seems strange that Ineos, there was, where did the communication break down there that G was able to attack? I mean, who's the leader at this stage? And, and, and Sean said what we were probably watching was, you know, that lack of confidence maybe after yesterday. Even G himself not really knowing where he was at today. Yeah, it was a, off the back of that question, um, I asked Geraint, you know, did he wait to, f- to make his move near the top because he knew it flattened out? And he said, yeah, but he still thinks he should have gone a little bit earlier. Mm. And like you say, you know, the experience he had yesterday is, is, is going to learn a lot from him, but he's also going to be a little bit cautious. He doesn't want to push himself into the red, especially given how strong Pino was going. But Bernal, being a pure climber, reacted to the, to the accelerations of Pino, eventually got ridden off the reel with Manny Bookman, but still finished you know, 20 seconds in front of Geraint. But yeah. when it flattened, that's when Geraint started to get into TT mode. And the last kind of couple of K, it was flat to the finish, but then only about kind of 2 or 3%, and that's when he really started to push on and actually reeled in Alaphilippe and eventually, well, dropped him. Amazing, really. I think that's really lined him up now. I think this G is in prime position now to win this race. If he carries on riding like that, and if Alaphilippe carries on riding like that, he's not going to win the Tour. There's just no way. I just, you know, he hasn't got a team. We saw Enrico Mass as well today get dropped, get dropped or sit up. We don't quite know. Um, I was watching the French coverage with Jackie Durand, and Jackie was saying that they seem to have some sort of meeting last night between Lefebvre and the DSs, Alaphilippe and Mass. Mass is leaving the team at the end of the year, second in the Vuelta last year. Maybe he was told he wasn't riding the Vuelta. Maybe he came into this race thinking he was the team leader for the GC switched halfway through that now we're going to go for Alaphilippe and then there may have been some sort of protest from Mass because Viviani was still there riding while Mass was getting dropped I mean it seems odd it, it is and, uh, and, and Mass the day before the stage of the Tourmalet was riding really 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 well exceptionally well he looked healthy he took the white jersey from Egan Bernal and then completely capitulated a day later which is a little bit unusual and we haven't had any information through from Deconic Quickstep about whether that's yeah. illness but we do see politics play out in the Tour de France because it's midway, it's transfer seasons. That's, that's fascinating. But what it did ultimately was, whatever the reason, it left Alaphilippe pretty isolated. And again, what, watching the last 20, 30k at the top of the climb, he had to drop back a few occasions mm. to get gels, to get bottles. Yeah. And all those small things at that level, as you well know, Brad, yeah. just takes he's it out no of you, doesn't team. it? Yeah, he's got no team. And I can't believe that we're going to sit here and see someone win the Tour de France next week. Not only the way he rides, going as deep as he does every day, but literally with no team. Uh, I just can't see it happening. Ineos today, their big improvement was having Walt Powell's there. Yeah. I mean, we saw the calming effect that had on G when Powell's was there. He set the tempo. He set it for quite a long way up the climb. And I think that's G's used to that. And yeah. I think that's, that, was, that's a, that was a big plus today for Ineos. No, definitely. Uh, Dylan van Baal did a pretty good ride on the lower slopes of the, of the climb as well. But I spoke to Paul's at the top. He looked, he looked a lot happier. Um, he said he was, he was finding his feet and it was able to do a lot of work, actually. Uh, yeah, there was some talk that he had the two Bob bits earlier in the week. Yeah, I mean... Which, it's, it's, you know, uh, Nibali's had the same. I spoke yeah. to Tristan Hoffman that there was some talk that he'd had that as well. There's a few riders that have had it. There's a few riders that have really, that have really struggled in this Tour de France. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's exceptionally interesting. But the thing I liked, if we just dwell on Geraint for a couple more minutes, was his interview at the end again. Yeah. He was joking around afterwards. He had that glint in his eye. And um, 
He was happy to answer questions. And he, again, he wasn't sat on his bike warming down. He was stood up, leant against a lorry with all these people crowding around him. Yeah. I, was lean, I was actually balancing on his bike. There was a rucksack that he was kind of half stood on. You know, really unromantic, raw mm. uh, kind of atmosphere. But he was, he was a gentleman again. But there was a bit of a glint in his eye. And I think he's taken a lot of confidence from finally seeing Alaphilippe yeah. crack. Yeah, and there'll be lots of talks tonight and tomorrow. I'm sure Dave and the team will put their heads together. They'll come up with a stronger plan next week. Now, I think they've seen the, better, the, the G they wanted to see today after yesterday. Bernal's a gentleman as well, as you know. You've spoke to him. He'll be under team instruction next week, and I'm sure there will be a firmer, more fixed plan for Geraint next week. Now they've got that confidence. They've got a week to go. Geraint is prime position now to win this race. And if he keeps riding the way he does, keeping that composure, keeping that cool, he's limited his losses to perfection this, this weekend and it actually although he lost time to Alaphilippe yesterday and gained time on him today he's the one who looks like like you say not just off the, you know, off the bike but on the bike as well the one who's, who's got the strongest team and can, is going to go on to win this race the other one I was really impressed by today Stefan Krauswick as well yeah, he's really solid. riding a good mature composed race he's got, he's got good teammates George, George Bennett uh, rode exceptionally well. He had another rider, Laurence de Plus, as well, who I spoke to. Lovely guy. Lean, riding his first Tour de France, was exceptionally Everyone's good. Everyone's lean. But yeah, there, there There's are, no there, fat people in the race. There aren't any, many, many, many uh, overweight people in the race, uh, no, as, as you say. But um, the thing that's special about this, this point, it's not just about Ineos. Okay, Geraint is in a good position, but you've got... Kreuzweiss is going to believe he's got a chance. Thibaut Pino, arguably right now, yeah. the strongest climber in the race... So all of those teams are going, to, are going to take it to Julian Alaphilippe. It's not just it's not just Geraint Thomas against yeah, against absolutely. Alaphilippe. It's these other teams as well. Um, um, where's Pino now? It's one fifty three. Well, let's have a quick look at look at the uh, the GC. Pino has moved back to one fifty, and you think about what he lost in the crosswinds. Amazing. Um, yeah, he he, been we lost right over there. two minutes. He, he would yeah. have been he'd have been in the Mayo Jorn right now. My fear for him, as we've seen in the past at the Giro, and that is is how much he can go that deep. Really, you know that that has a big impact on rides. Today was huge for him going as deep as he did. We saw Nibali do that in the Giro on the, uh, the Motirolo and lost time towards the end. We saw Simon Yates doing it last year. Those big attacks, riders tend to pay for those. So my fear for him is that he has to continue doing that in order to gain time back on those guys. But I think Pino now must kind of just recover, sit tight and almost wait for the others to get dropped, really, yep. um, and bide his time, really. Um, we had a good chat with uh, Matt White just a couple of days ago and Matt, they were really looking at those stages in the Alps for Simon Yates. I don't think they ever expected to come away with two stage wins before we got to that point. So more to gain from Mitchelton Scott, really, in terms of Simon Yates could come out of this with four stage wins. I, I was just thinking that on, on the way here before we parked up. I thought, looking at the profile, we've got, this, got Neem Neem just after the rest day. Uh, and then we have, in our relatively hilly stage, and then we have three brutal mountain stages before Paris. And it wouldn't surprise me, because of where Simon Yates is, and because he isn't an overall threat, he still will have that freedom to go mm. up the road. And he, the way he rode away from Simon Geska today, Amazing. I mean, he's, he's absolutely flying, isn't he? But his maturity as well, the way he used Simon in the valley yeah. in order to get to the climb, and actually thanked him in the end in his interview for Simon's work. Um, but it was 32, 33 riders in that break this morning. And Simon bided his time all day, went with the attacks when he had to. I mean, what an incredibly amazing mature performance from, from someone who's still relatively so young in the sport. Yeah, I mean, you forget, he, he's young. But uh, as I say, three, three stage wins in the Giro. Two, of course, in this year's Tour. And a couple of stage wins en route to winning the overall the world. You forget how much experience that, that lad has built. But he's, mm. yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a pleasure to watch. Amazing, yeah. And I guess... Um, from, from anyone else's perspective as well, it's just how do you see Ineos playing out next week? Would you, if you were Dave now, would you, I mean, obviously we've got Geraint, we're all kind of 
steering towards Geraint as the Brit and the champion as well from last year. But Bernal, you know, we've kind of almost forgot that how young he is, really. I know he's had such a great season, of course, winner of Paris-Nice, winner of Tour of Swiss. I bigged him up as a potential winner this, this year um, at the start of the race. Maybe it's too much too soon, really, from, from maybe too much. We're expecting too much of him, really, and maybe that added towards, you know, Geraint's maybe cracking slightly yesterday on the Tourmalet that Bernal almost thought he could be in a position to win the Tour today. I think yesterday on the, on the final slopes of the Tourmalet, I'd imagine uh, Nico Portal and Dave, and Dave Brailsford and, and probably Geraint himself was thinking, what, what's happening here? You know, where, this guy have it, yeah, yeah is, is there really going to be a shift in power? But then the, the rider that, that worries everybody the most at the moment is Pino, the way that Pino rode away on the really steep yeah. part. Bernal couldn't go with him. Bernal couldn't, actually was ridden off the wheel today on a relatively shallow gradient near the end. That just shows when you can ride, ride a, a ride of that class off your wheel on a, on a 6% mm. gradient, it, it tells a lot, doesn't it? You know, because there's a little bit of slipstreaming. Yeah. He is absolutely flying. But in relation to the way they throw it, uh, the way they play it, Geraint's now only 1, one minute 30, taking a 30 seconds back. Bernal is at 2.02. I think Neem Neem, it's about looking after each other. I mean, it should be a breakaway day one for the sprinters. But mm. as they go into the mountains, I just think they need to sit back, let the other teams do a little, take a shoulder a bit of the burden of the race and then make it hard at the back end to try and dislodge Alaphilippe but keep Pino on a short leash. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's all going to come down to those three Alpine stages. And um, the one I've also been really impressed with, Groupama, FDJ, have they ridden? Yeah. I mean, they had two guys in that break today. Um, and we saw the, the Swiss champ, is it, towards the end there? Reichenbach. Who... Yep did a really good job for Pino towards the end um, and we were kind of questioning him in the break I was asking the question on the motorbike you know what's the tactic today for, for Group Arma? obviously they rode yesterday uh, before the, fo- the slopes of the Tourmalet um, today they sat back a lot and let other teams do the work but they've, they've really matured as a team I mean obviously I wouldn't say the French teams have been a laughing stock over the years certainly post 98 post Festina French cycling went through a, quite a rut really although yeah. they picked up the odd stage winning tours Chavanel the like um, as a team now, they, they really are rivalling the big teams in, in the Tour de France. Yeah, well, well Pino, as we know, as, as well as Bardet, who's having a bit of a nightmare at the moment, but Pino, although Bardet did get in the break, didn't he, before, before sli- sli- sliding back, Pino, we know, is a, is a precocious talent. You know, uh, we know that Mark Maddio, they're almost like father and son, the relationship. Yes. But when Pino is going well, he is one of the finest riders in the world, but it's just whether he has the temperament. He's finished on the podium in the Tour de France before. He's won key stages, he's won... Obviously, in the Tourmalet, he's won an Alpe in the past. It's whether he's now got that maturity to carry us through. But, uh, but yeah, the French teams are impressed. And one of the young riders has impressed me. You talk about Ego and Bernal, another previous winner of the Tour Lavender, David Godou, who's been uh, yes. the key lieutenant. Yeah. Young 22-year-old rider, led up the Tourmalet, ripped that front group apart, did it again today, swung off a little bit earlier, but he is, is impressed. And Pino, actually, yesterday after the stage, said... That is the future of French cycling. David Godu could win the Tour de France in a few years. It's wonderful to see. Absolutely, yeah. And also, I mean, you've been following cycling a long time, Matt, haven't you? I mean, since your cover shot on winning magazine, on Alduez in the famous Eno Le Mans battle. 86, mate, yeah. I actually can't remember a tour like this, as open no, as this or as, as entertaining as this. It's almost, I described it the other day like a junior race, almost like a Tour de l'Avenir. Yeah, it's, I love the way that we, we've almost become accustomed, and, and you'll know this, you've, you've won this race with, a, with an amazing team with you and, and, and a team that's dominated the sport for, well, just under a decade now. But it's, dif- it's different. Some, something's happened, you know. We could argue, we can't not talk about the tour without talking about Chris Froome. No. Coming into the race, you know, and taking him out, he creates this vacuum. But the vacuum, I think, is, is a good thing because suddenly riders are thinking, I can have a piece of this. I can do some damage, you know, because 
Froome is revered, he's metronomic, he's a machine, um, has hardly shown any signs of frailty. But now, when you take him out of the equation, there's riders on a bit of a level who think they can, they can do something. And I think that ripple effect has permeated through the teams as well. So we've got far stronger teams. And when you've got several teams with the confidence to rip it up, we are left with something completely different than what we're used to, but that we're, what we've been used to seeing over the last few years. And I think it's good. And the talk in the compound at the top of the hill amongst the press is this is one of the best tours in years because we still don't know really who's going to pull on the Mayo Journey in Paris. No, absolutely. Well, that's it for part one of the Bradley Wiggins show. We're going to be back in part two after these short messages from our sponsors. Indeed. Viewers can watch every minute of the 2019 Tour de France with all 21 stages broadcast live from kilometre zero anytime, anywhere, only on Eurosport and Eurosport Player. For the first time ever, 2012 Tour de France winner Sir Bradley Wiggins will feature as an in-race motorbike reporter delivering unrivaled insight from the peloton, bringing fans closer to the action than ever before. Don't miss a moment of the 106th Tour de France live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player. Try it for yourself on the app or at eurosport.co.uk. I had a question come in, Brad, uh, from somebody asking if Geraint was wrong or mistaken to admit that he felt weak on the on the Tourmalet stage. Yeah, I just think, I mean, people ask so much of these riders in terms of honesty and, you know, people want honesty from the riders, they get honesty and then they're still not happy, really. I mean, Geraint says what's on his mind at that moment. You know, he speaks the truth. He's very honest, as he was today at the finish. And that is how he felt at that moment in time. And he's just being completely honest with his team. Maybe, you know, someone like Lance Armstrong wouldn't have done that. They'd have hidden it, you know, for their spectators. But Geraint's a different breed of animal. And I think that won't affect the way he races the next day. All it will do, actually, you could look at it both ways and think, well, why give so much away to your rivals? But the worst thing his rivals could do is underestimate G in this Tour de France. And actually, we saw today, maybe, you know, G came back from yesterday, if you could say. Um, so no, I, I think he, G will say as it is at that moment how he feels and he won't hold back. Well, I'll ask you this, but I, I think that's one of the reasons why Geraint is so popular amongst the fans, especially the British fans, because yes. he's an everyman, he's honest. You know, there's a lot being asked of athletes, especially in cycling, to be transparent. And um, I, I, think it's, I think it's refreshing. And I, I've, a few days I've spoken to, the, I spoke to Adam, Adam Yates the other day, and obviously he had an awful day on the mm. Tourmalet day. His, his overall chances have been shattered. Uh, and he said, I just had a bad day, you know, and, um, it, and, and, he, and he was honest. He, he tells us how, how he kind of feels. And I personally think it, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, the media and the press around the tour as a rider is quite stressful anyway. And I think once you start paying attention to that and getting into the realms of sort of game playing and hiding things from them, it's just easier to be honest every day because you're just talking to them like you're talking to your teammates or your family. And it makes it easy. You don't trip yourself up a week down the line when they say, well, you said last week you wasn't feeling too good and you weren't going for GC. Now you're up there. I just think it's easier for them to manage the whole situation by being honest. I think that's a really interesting point. And now my background in being a police officer and interviewing suspects, actually, it's quite interesting you say that. It's harder to tell a lie and more, far more stressful to tell a lie and to bluff than to just be playing with the truth. And, and also, let's be, you know, in the modern era, the top riders in the world occasionally showing a bit of weakness thank goodness they are it's the yeah. three-week tour absolutely one of the hardest routes in years the highest level of course you know to see a rider going through day after day even winning the tour just just being imperious and and, and kind of not back an eyelid would be worrying to be a perfect honest with you. but to see the best riders in the world struggling and having a bad day and saying do you know what i had yeah. a bad day i think it's good and we've become accustomed to watching the likes of simon yates do that in the giro this year most notably yeah 
I just didn't have it today. And I think it's actually quite refreshing. And because what they do is they come out the next day or the day or three days later and, and have a stormer of a day. This happens. This is normal as cyclists. Most people that watch the tour, or a lot of people that watch the tour ride bikes now. They know what it's like to suffer. You know you can have bad days. Not everyone has a good day at work. So I think it's a brilliant thing. I've known Grant a long time and he's always been like that. Yeah. It, it has no reflection on how he approaches or races the next day Geraint and that's the thing you talk about speaking to the press speaking to the fans about how you're feeling but it, but then on the bike it's different isn't it because of course you're not going to go and tell Kreiswerk or Pino tap on the shoulder and say by the way I'm on a bit of a bad day no. you, you better turn the screw you, you're going to bluff a little bit you're going to and, and that's what you get taught by a manager is as best you can you know but and then that's one of the wonderful things about this sport when you know the game when you're a rider you know your rivals and you can sense weaknesses Without them even slowing down, you think, oh, he's breathing a bit heavier than usual. His style on the bike is starting to change. That's the tell- they're the telltale signs, aren't they? Yeah, but also as a rider, the, all the riders know that you can have a bad day, you can have a good day. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, it just swings in roundabouts, really. And we saw Alaphilippe today. The moment he cracked, he really did crack, didn't yeah, he? he, he blew I mean, he time. went with Pino. He was there. They dropped G. You know, who'd have thought at that moment that G would have took time out of Alaphilippe? But it turned on a, you know, on a knife edge, didn't it, yeah. really? And, and all of a sudden... Valaphilippe was riding on the front of the group of Pals and G and then got dropped to the final. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean he's, he is a class act. Uh, he definitely is a class act. But talking about honesty again, a tweet that I noticed the other day, well, actually, not just I noticed, it's actually got, look at, listen to this, 9,533 likes for George Bennett for Jumbo Visma. Lovely lad. Said, on another note, I rode a few hundred metres with Geraint Thomas and it was sad to see some absolute Ws leap uh, booing from the side of the road if you're not here to support the riders then stay at home and that's in reference to riding up the tourmalay uh, it was in the last k that Geraint got dropped George Bennett had just done his turn and ended up riding for a few hundred meters with Geraint and obviously yeah. a lot of abuse at the side of the road so Bennett is one of the riders firstly he's a, he's a fantastic rider secondly Says it out. he's it's honest he, he, he does wear his heart on his sleeve doesn't yeah. he he's great George he's absolutely superb it's a shame more riders aren't like him because he says it how it is. He says it in the moment, and, and he's absolutely right what he says. I mean, it's unfortunate. You know, I mean, we kind of... There is the argument that maybe we're too soft in cycling, and people have the right to have allegiances and have be tribal to who they support, especially if you're French and you're supporting the likes of Alaphilippe and Pino. This is a French race. They can get very patriotic towards their race. Yeah. We've seen that in the past. They don't like the dominance of other teams. I mean, we've seen it the last few years with Chris Froome. He tried to, someone tried to push him on Alpdouers last year. Yep. He had urine disgustingly thrown over him a yep. few years ago. You know, they don't like it. And it, you know, I like to categorise and say that they are French people doing it because, you know, it takes all breeds to be... And that's not true of all French people, by the way. We've met some lovely people course, along the way that support this race and support the likes of Geraint Thomas. But, you know, I think being supportive and being tribal is, is a good thing. But when, it, when that disrupts or starts to impact on a rider who's actually only trying to do their job yeah i think that's when it gets that's a bit that is big when it becomes out of order really because garine is doing his best there he's just trying as hard as the last guy climbing up the climb and he doesn't deserve to have the proximity of the the privilege that they have of the how close they can get to the riders abused and and done that because obviously it happens in football when players are taking corners and stuff but they do have a physical barrier of the end of the terraces and stewards and police stood there. The riders don't have that. There's no, there's nothing that stops one idiot crossing that line and it becoming violent. Yeah, I mean, uh, Puy de Dom, 1975, Merckx punched in the side. Yes. In the side. I mean, that's the probably another and good last example. Year with yeah, yeah. I mean, but and that's the thing. You know, we talk about the fans on this race. I mean, you, you can't deny 
And it's, a, it's an issue that we've talked about. We, we'll always talk about ad infinitum, safety of riders, the beauty of all the Grand Tours. The beauty of cycling is the fact that you can get up close. And as you said, that, that key word that you just used, Brad, was a privilege. It is a privilege. It is. You're riding against the best riders in the world, and, but all it takes is a couple of beers, you know, a bit of partisan, you know, being a little bit over partisan, and, and then you're, you're shouting something mm. in somebody's ear. I mean, you've been there. You've done it. What is it, I mean, the Tourmalet in particular, what is it like? I mean, from riding along and having somebody running alongside and screaming in, in yeah. your ear. I mean, there's particular footage I remember on YouTube, actually. There's, there's a shot of me pushing someone out the way who was running next to me, and he was, it was too much at that moment. You know, I'm there in the job that I've trained all year for, two or three K from the summit, trying to get back to the group of Andy Schleck and Contador and Armstrong, and it was just unwelcomed at that moment. And, and maybe stupid of me to lash out and push this guy in the ditch, but, you know, you don't want any distractions at that point. Cheer, boo, whatever you want to do. But once it starts impacting on what you're trying to do, I think no one would expect to be in their work environment and have someone come at them to the proximity they do and, and expect to not have a reaction. And I think, you know, I, I particularly remember that Von Two stage more than anything, really, because the hostility going up that climb, particularly towards Lance Armstrong, was was scary at times I have to say you know people Spanish supporters were spitting at Lance because of the rivalry he had with Contador that year and it was borderline to spilling over into into something quite nasty really and and no one really deserves that whatever your whatever your kind of opinion of Lance Armstrong anything like that of course everyone knows what he's done and everyone has an opinion on it Um, but at that moment in time, when they're in the race, they have the right to be in that race unless other people decide otherwise. I think that's the thing. If if that was in Carcassonne Town Centre and somebody came up to you and swore in, in your face, it would kick off. It would well, be look what happened at the Villa game this yeah. year against Birmingham. Jack Grealish, when the supporter rang on the pitch, yeah. you know he got pr- imprisoned, yeah. and rightly so. You know, yeah, yeah. It's uh, but the, the fans, you know, are amazing, aren't they? On the tour, I mean, uh, superb. On the, on the whole, aside from the one who left a great pile of dump next to your van oh, the other day. I mean, let's talk about that briefly. We won't dwell on it because if any of you are kind of eating your tea, I mean, this is a podcast you can listen to any time. Perhaps pause, have your tea, come back. But you weren't there, Brad. But we, yeah, we parked up. Where were we, Pete? On oh, the descent of the Tourmalet. No, no, somewhere else. Where were we? We won't dwell on it too much. Tarp, but it for was the time somewhere. trial. Yeah, go back to the car. Suddenly done. A human poo next to the car. Uh, tissue paper there is evidence. Uh, do you know what? It was disturbing. Flies all around it. But that's the tour. That's the beauty of you've the tour. You've got to go when you've got to go. And I think that's, um, you know, we've seen <laughs> you know, just how many people trying to get off these mountains. And as you said earlier, people park up and walk kilometre after kilometre after kilometre just to come and support these riders. Yeah, t- today was a today was the, the climb at the finish there was the first time the tour had gone up it. It was pretty desolate. You know, a beautiful climb, but um, it was so narrow that no cars were allowed up. People were allowed to ride up, but there was no cars at the top. But there were people who... Had, the climb was from, from the bottom. It was like 11.8 k's. People had walked that far. Kids, families walked up and camped out. And that's what makes the tour so special, isn't it? And people like that are what we want to celebrate, aren't they, mate? Because they, they make... They, you know, the, the riders make, of course, the course makes it. But the fans get, are the beating heart as well, aren't they? Yeah. And just to wrap up this little part of the podcast, I actually want to just pick up on talking about how the spectators maybe impact sometimes on the riders and of course a good friend of yours and, and someone I had quite a close relationship as a junior at the time Robert Miller now of course Pippa York yeah uh, I, I always remember as a kid watching I think it was the 1992 Tour de France on a climb Gianni Bugno actually got knocked off by a spectator 
and Robert came up behind, hit Janny's wheel and fell off as well. I do remember. Janny yeah. actually hit the spectator with his front wheel, but Robert Pippa York, of course, now um, was affected by that and came off and actually, surprisingly, kept kept her cool at that moment because uh, anyone knew Robert as a rider, he was he was you know wore his heart on his sleeve. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it was something the Giro this year was it? Was it Lander? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was one of the Astana riders. One of the Astana actually, riders end up lamping a fan, didn't they? But yeah. uh, it's not what we want to see. Is no, it, it is. I mean, it's a non-contact it sport. But uh, one thing I'll say again to wrap this up is none would coexist without the other, really. Exactly. The fans, we wouldn't have the sport without the fans on those climbs. That's what makes it historical. That's what makes it such a spectacle. And the riders, we wouldn't have a sport without them. But the fans have to recognise that at those moments in time when they've had a few drinks and you've seen these people camping out for days on end before the race gets there, having a drink, that they are at their workplace. Yeah, and it's it's that mutual respect and that's what we want. Definitely. Listeners, it's time to tell you a bit more about our sponsor, Lacquer. Lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bike and your gear. It's a community of cyclists joining together to save each other money. Lacquer covers all the basics like theft and accidental loss and damage, both at home and abroad. It'll also cover you in sportives and competition races, so long as you're not riding in the pro peloton. How does Lacquer work, you ask? Well, instead of charging you a fixed premium, with Lacquer you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost, and your share is proportionate to how much you insure. Lacquer locks in a maximum price cap to make sure there are no nasty surprises, even in months with lots of claims amongst the community. And when there are no claims that month, you could even pay nothing at all. Rest assured, claims are accepted fast, usually within 24 hours. On average, Lacquer's members have saved 61% on bike insurance, so why don't you investigate the benefits for yourself? Find out more at lacquer.co.uk and enter the promo code WIGGINS to get £10 off. That's laka.co.uk and the promo code W-I-G-G-I-N-S. Brad, talking about fans, what's your or one of your most memorable fan moments out on the road? Or in a velodrome, who knows? I mean, Well, this was actually at the Tour of Britain, actually. I think it was in 2013. I was leading the race for a couple of days to go. Uh, 2012 meant a lot to so many people and obviously what not only I accomplished but the whole of British cycling that year with the London Olympics. Um, I had a guy have a tattoo of a mod target and wigo underneath it on the back of his calf and he was stood around the bus for days and days and he eventually got him on the bus on the back of the bus because he wanted me to sign his leg because the next day he was going to have that tattooed my signature over the ink of what i'd signed on his leg and he did have it he's got bradley wiggins tattooed up the back of his calf with a mod target above it with wigo as well so and 2012 I, th- I seem to remember 2012 was on it and that I thought that was some commitment from a fan so thank you to that man if you're still out there and you have not had it covered up with a picture of Alanis Morissette or something so brilliant and you didn't sign Tony Adams that time did you I, I didn't know <laughs> seeing as it, how serious it was and how no. much it meant to him yeah no no that's that's, 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 that's pretty extreme though isn't it it is but you know these things mean a lot to so many okay, people yeah, yeah. so um, you know brilliant nobody's I've never signed anybody's leg they've never or, or any part of their body I mean, uh, I've got similar things actually. I've got a thing on my, I've got a song lyric on here by one of my favourite artists, Gaz Coombs from what's called oh, Supergrass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the girl that fell to earth. It's part of his solo album Matador. Matador from oh, it's a cracking album. Cracking Brilliant. album. The girl that fell to earth. Yeah. One of his songs. It means so much to me. I had it tattooed on me last week. Wow. So yeah, this means a lot to a lot of people actually. And um, you know, cycling is the same to a lot of people. It lives in people's hearts. Definitely. The most weirdest. Well, not actually the best fan moment I had. It wasn't like anybody signing a, a part of my body or anything like that. It was, it was more, I couldn't believe what was happening. Um, and and as, as you know, my, my career was a lot different to yours, but I rode for four decades. But the, the most memorable moment for me was riding, I think it was up to Gavia with Pantani on a, on a, in a little group of about five of us. What and race was that? A, 
Oh, in the Giro. Yeah, in the in Giro. 98, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, before he got two thousand. Oh, in two thousand, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was a late, he was a late entrant actually. We didn't yeah. think he was going to be riding, but he rode. And he, so the fact that he was with me gives you a kind of a bit of indication of kind of his fitness. But still, well, he was just coming up, back when he because he just won he won the stage on the Ventoux in the Tour de France after that, didn't he? Yeah, he got better and better and was yeah. and was uh, as the as the race went on was getting stronger and stronger. But I was sat in a little group and uh, he was. I was on his wheel. We had two helpers either side and one guy in the front. And um, it was just the Tifosi running, running alongside and screaming. Mm. None of them were screaming at me, but because by virtue of them being so close, they were screaming, Vai Pantani, Vai Pantani, and running. It must have been like, like a couple of hundred metres. And it, when they fell away, another little group of people would mm. run alongside. And I've never experienced anything like that before. And uh, to be on his wheel for that, I don't know, whether it's five or six Ks, to have the, the Tifosi shouting in my ear, but it gave me kind of tinnitus. My ears were, it went over the top of the club. My ears were ringing. Yeah. But it's a kind of snapshot of a little kind of snapshot that I'll never, never forget. But none of them were abusive. But I was a little bit scared because they came so close. And there was like this re- almost religious fervor. Because mm. it was even then before you know, he passed away, he was a god. Like he was a god of cycling, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And the he Italians, was. he was a deity. And, but to be amongst that and to feel it was insane and, yeah, I and, rode yeah. with him in 2003 in the Giro on his decline it was his last race yeah. actually and it was amazing to see how insecure he was how aloof he was he didn't like the attention at that point you know he almost he almost resented the fame by that point and obviously it eventually killed him but yeah. another just just to, to add to that I remember riding the Giro in 2003 also with Cipollini who was world champion and we were in a gruppetto one day in Tuscany and uh, he was world champion at the time, surrounded by his sort of um, zebra-striped team at the time in Giovanni Lombardi, Shirea. Specialised bikes. Um, and one, one fan actually shouted something to him in Italian, probably along the lines of, you know, come on, what are you doing here? And Cipolli turned back in the road and went for this guy, you know, like, as he kind of did just the, the, the lack of respect. It yeah. was unheard of in Italy. And he took Giovanni Lombardi and these guys to restrain Cipollini to, to not kick this guy's head in. Um, so just the complete contrast, really, yeah. as you talk about the Tifosi and how passionate they are. Someone just mocking or just making a, a joke of yeah, yeah, yeah. Mario Cipollini as world champion at that time. Um, I remember sitting in the group thinking, wow, you know, that's, that's, uh, you can't imagine that happening in the UK. <laughs> You're listening to The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport. There's always time for an Ask Brad. This week, it's British superbike legend, six-time champion, and now a pillar of Eurosport's British superbikes coverage, Shaky Burn. So, Bradley, we perform real similar roles for Eurosport. Knowing how much it kills me still watching the boys race, do you miss the racing whilst you're performing your Eurosport duties? And a quick side question, as a keen cyclist, do you still ride your bike? And if so, roughly how many miles or hours per week? Uh, thank you, Shaky Burn. Real honour to have a question from such a, a legend of BSB racing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's um, I watch it now. I'm so proud and pleased to have been a part of it. That I'm almost so distant from it now that I don't miss it one bit. I, I, I especially sat on the bike this week. I realise and remember at times just how hard cycling can be. And, and it's easy to think it's getting harder, but I think it's always been as hard. No matter what equipment you're on, no matter what bike you're on, no matter what training you've done, no matter how advanced the sport is, when the guys are going flat out and racing hard... The guys in front try just as hard as the guys at the back. And it's brutal. It is a brutal sport, and I don't miss it one bit. I feel for the guys. I have respect for what they do. And, I mean, Matt, you, you've ridden the Giro, and you've ridden some big races all around the world, amateur level and professional. Do you miss it still, or do you kind of think, no, nah, I think I'm quite happy where I'm at now? I'm the same as you. I'm quite happy where I am now. I, I, I do still like riding my bike. I, I, I like riding my bike more than ever because I can stop when I want to. I can go exactly, as hard or yeah. as easy as I want. Nobody yeah. dictates what I do. I dictate it. So I don't miss it. Occasionally, looking at the tour and looking at in a race in the sunshine and thinking, 
about the good days when you felt amazing and you were di- you were dishing it out. They're the days. Oh, that would be nice to have that feeling again where you're yeah. in control, when you've got that fluidity on the bike. When you look around and you've got this confidence that comes from somewhere. Where, you know, when you're in this rich vein of form. But generally speaking, no. I, I've had I had a time. You know, four decades of road for. So I'm kind of quite content. But like you, you know, I look at pro, pro cyclists. You know, with a, a great deal of respect because um, it's it's brutally hard and yeah. it's. Let's be honest, mate. It, it, they're going faster now than ever before, but the suffering is just the same. It is. Yeah, it is. And you can't get away from that, really. And just on your side note there, Shaky, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you when I ride. I ride for pleasure like Matt, really. Um, when and when, really. I mean, I haven't ridden for quite a while now. I've probably ridden for the best part of a month being on the tour and working. There's not a lot of time around the tour, is there, to do anything? And, um, you know, I had my time, and when I get back, it'll be. I watch these guys now, and I actually think... You know, I can't wait to get on the bike next week when I get it back. It does inspire, though, doesn't it? Just to go for it a posse. You know, you, I know you ride with your son and stuff yeah. like that, and I, I do a little bit when I can, and it inspires me, but it doesn't inspire me to want to race. It inspires no. me just to want to go and ride my bike a bit. It does, and yeah. That's, that's the, that's but the do you know what? Nothing will ever take away that the thought I had when I was 13 I used to go out. I still go out today, sh- ashamedly, yes, and, and pretend still to be someone. I'll have to pretend to be Sean we Yates. We did that, though. You know, I'll, I'll do the same next week. I'll probably go out and pretend to be Alaphilippe for about five minutes. Got a bit, you'll probably buy a bit of De Koenig kit, won't you? Go out. <laughs> no, no, no. I won't, I won't go that far. It won't fit me anymore. <laughs> no, it's uh, that's what it's all about. That, that's that's why you know kids get into get into all sorts of sport. They have icon, you know, icons they look up to. They want to wear the kit. Absolutely. And, yeah. it, and it, even though I don't want to do it, it inspires me. Yeah, superb. Um, Brad, just to wrap things up, just a quick one, really. Although it's important. Um, what's your favourite nut? Ooh, my favourite nut will probably be my old trick nuts I used to put on my BMX. Oh, so a non-edible nut. A non-edible nut, but one you can stand on. A bit Crack. like the nuts you used to have at your nans at Christmas, the ones you used to be the nut grinder. What were they? Whoever you could never those? get in them. No, whoever ate, what are they even called? They were called chestnuts. They were, they were like, well, I, weren't big, they like varnished? They were almost varnished, but you used to have them big crackers to get into the thing, big silver-like pliers. <laughs> that no one used to use. No, nobody. They would, like, I mean, ornaments. would buy bags of them at Christmas. But nobody ate them. And they'd still be there the day after the same Boxing ones Day. The following year. Oh, what times. In an orange net. No, they were oranges. Oh. So along the route, for, we've got one week to go now. We've got a rest day tomorrow, but we're going to be bringing you a couple of little short podcasts from the back of our little van on our transfers, Matt, aren't we? Yeah, it's... Uh, we will. Yeah. Like, 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 <laughs> sorry, that's how... Oh, blimey. That's how excited Matt yeah, is I am, about it. No, I'm properly excited. We've got three big mountain stages to come haven't we we've got a couple of flat stages yeah. but we, there's still a lot of racing but no we will be bringing you the almost like you know like when you buy Ribena or uh, another kind of sort of uh, like fruit juice the diluted but you don't add to add water it's just that really concentrated nugget of cycling content straight to your internet holes so by, it's a bit like buying nine chicken nuggets instead of six. Oh, <laughs> boom right that's it see you next week guys cheers merci Brad that's it for this episode of the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport with thanks to our sponsor Lacquer bicycle insurance powered by the community until next time you can stay up to date with Brad on his social channels at Sir Wigo you can follow Eurosport on Twitter and Instagram at Eurosport underscore UK plus you can find us on Facebook Finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for the grand finale. Until then, au revoir. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 